0: So welcome back to part two of our three-part episode this week. Thank you very, very much for joining us once again.
1: So we left yesterday's episode in the midst of the fire in the Stardust. Let's now continue with the case as Bethan takes us through what happened next.
0: So during the early stages of the fire, people did continue to leave the Stardust. The majority of people who wanted to leave as planned at this point now kind of left through exit two without any difficulty. That was the main exit at the foyer. And at the same time, it was naturally the end of the night anyway, so a growing number of people looking for their coats began to assemble at the cloakroom near to exit two. The waitresses were, for the most part, young women, and they worked under the kitchen manager. They had been advised that if there was ever an issue, like a fight or an emergency, they were to go straight to the kitchen, and so as soon as things kicked off, most of those staff members left that way. About five or six people were still sat or were asleep at the tables. A few people were dancing, but there was this large crowd gathered by the blinds and by the main bar wanting to know what was happening. As the blinds were then raised, people seemed to fully realise the severity of the fire, but now panic really set in. Three distinct phenomena were associated in the minds of many of the onlookers with this development of panic, and these were the collapse of the part of the ceiling in the West Alcove, And I guess this makes sense because it would have made a huge noise. The rapid spread of flame through the West Alcove and into the ballroom and then the filling of the ballroom with the clouds of smoke. As the flames really began to spread, people recalled hearing the disc jockey make an announcement urging people to remain calm and walk to the nearest exits. But then that was when the lights in the Stardust failed and the panic just grew. Friends Valerie and Sharon, who were among the group in front of the alcove, were gathering up their coats from the table, having seen the fire, when part of the ceiling collapsed onto the table. They were so frightened that they ran immediately to the inner door of Exit 2. As Valerie looked back, she saw flames shooting at ceiling level into the ballroom. And Sandra, who also picked up some coats and ran to the door as soon as she saw the fire, looked back and saw it rolling across the ceiling. Adrienne, who was dancing when she saw the fire, first of all, climbed over the tables onto the floor. And she saw Dorman fighting the fire with extinguishers. She then saw the fire cutting across the ceiling very quickly above her head. And a guy called Paul, who was dancing in front of the stage when he first saw the fire, also described the fire as going up the ceiling and coming across the ceiling very quickly, like a ball of fire. Peter was standing in the north alcove when he heard screaming. Turning to look back, he saw flames shooting up the wall towards the ceiling He rushed down to the dance floor to get three girls whose coats he'd been watching and he succeeded in bringing one of them as far as an exit known as Exit 5. He also saw a part of the ceiling falling and Paula was dancing on the floor when she thought she smelt smoke and she heard somebody say the place was on fire. She turned and saw a fire on a seat. She also rushed to Exit 5 but when she got there she saw crates of bottles stacked against it which made her think that she wouldn't get out that way. So she turned back in the direction of Exit 2 At this stage she saw flames all over the place. She then went to exit six where there were people banging and pushing the door and so she rushed back to exit five through which she did escape. When I was reading her accounts I kind of got this sense of like the panic of like if you think of like a rat in a maze or something just the dashing back and forward she'd Tried that door, no good. Tried that one. This flame—it was just horrendous. And she did luckily get out, but you can just imagine her darting, can't you?
1: Yeah, I really can. And I—I was so relieved when you said at the end that she did manage to escape through exit five, which is the exit that I think she'd gone to originally. Um, but yeah, I—I I really get that sense of panic from her—that uh, darting, like you say, literally all over the place, ending up back at the exit that she'd originally gone to where there was a crowd of people and they were banging on the door to try and get it to open, um, or there were bottles stacked against it. It just Mm -hmm. sounds like an absolute nightmare, like literally a living nightmare to be involved in this.
0: So I do apologise. There's a lot of like exit this, exit that. and Without a floor plan, it's hard to kind of imagine, but even without knowing exactly where they are, I think it's really telling about how many different exits there were, but actually how difficult it was to evacuate. So a steady trickle of people continued to leave via Exit 2, and a group of people formed in front of Exit 4, a larger group than that in front of Exit 5. The group in front of Exit 4 swelled to approximately 30 or 40 before the doors eventually opened, and this was apparently not much more than a minute after all the sections of the blind had been raised, and the fire became apparent to most people in the ballroom. There was a much longer delay and a larger crowd at Exit 5, which at one point stretched kind of as far as halfway down the aisle to the main bar. So you'd have been right in there with this black smoke. And, the and black you're, sm-
1: you're waiting in a queue to get, to get out, out in yeah. absolute panic. And that's when people start to, you see all the social norms deconstruct and all that orderly queuing, etc. just goes out the window and people start pushing their way to the front and yep. fights break out because people are literally fighting for their life.
0: And while these people were queuing and trying to get out of Exit 5 was when the lights went, so that must have just added to that completely. Another crowd of people had made their way into the corridor leading to the outer door of Exit 3, and approximately half filled this corridor, while again the doors remained closed. Smoke had filled a portion of this corridor, the lights had failed by the time the doors were open. So that was about two minutes after the sections of the blind had been raised, possibly three minutes after that, that was quite a late one. And when Colin the DJ, made his announcement, the steady movement of people in the direction of Exit 2 turned into a rush of large numbers of people. Within a very short time, the foyer was crowded from the outer doors to the inner doors, and a further crowd of people was attempting to get out, and it had built up in an area between the bar and the alcove. The fire was spreading furiously now, the lights had failed, and the ceiling continued to collapse. People's movements inside the ballroom became increasingly confused and random as they ran from one exit to another. A number of witnesses described the crowd at Exit 5 as pushing and struggling in an attempt to get out. And many of them were becoming hysterical and screaming or being knocked to the ground.
1: Do you know what it kind of reminds me of a little bit is um, if you go to the theatre and you're, it comes to the end and you're leaving and it's all very orderly and you've got people to kind of guide you, which exit, etc., um, that in itself can be an absolute ball ache to get out because there's just so many people, even though it's done yeah. in a really orderly fashion.
0: And everybody wants to go to the loo at the end of it. So the queues to the toilets then become quite tight and packed in.
1: And it blocks the yep. exit and stuff. So that in itself is a bloody nightmare. But Let imagine alone. this when yeah. it's just panic induced and no sense of order and it's just chaos. It's going to be like a thousand times worse.
0: Yeah. As the black smoke filled the ballroom, some people passed out and they had no recollection of anything further until they were outside. Similar but less extreme conditions prevailed at exits 4 and 3, and a number of people found their way into the toilets at the stardust, so... They did so in some cases because they mistook them for exits. In some cases, they were kind of going to them as a refuge from the conditions of the heat and smoke. And in some cases, because they were brought or dragged in by other people. So one patron, Deirdre, was running towards the main door when the lights went out and she fell. When she got up, she just couldn't see where she was going. So she went into the lady's toilet and smoke was coming into the toilet, which made her sick. There were two other people in the toilet, a man and a woman. All three of them were screaming and banging on the doors but she couldn't go out because when she tried to open the door, she could see flames coming in, so they had to wait in those toilets until a fireman came and rescued them. The emergency exits should have been the sensible choice for fleeing patrons, but sadly it was the wrong choice for a lot of them. So one of the doors was chained and padlocked, two were obstructed by skips or tables, and at one of the doors the DJ's van was in the way. Others appeared to be locked because chains had been draped across the push bars, which was in an attempt to dissuade patrons from sneaking their friends in but in the panic it made people think that they were locked so they would then try a different exit. Jean was running in the direction of exit two but her path was obstructed by the crowd of people and a girl pulled her through the crowd and into a door which she thought was the door of exit two but turned out to be the door of the men's toilets. Apart from herself and the other girl there were about eight or ten people in the toilet. All of the people in there were coughing and um, one or two of them were also vomiting because of the really thick black smoke coming in. Everybody inside was just panicked, some of them were screaming and so she and some others hammered and beat on the windows. Eventually someone opened the door in the hope that they might get to exit too and she could see at that stage that the actual door frame was aflame, everything outside the toilets was on flames and more smoke came in. So she was really, really frightened, she lay on the floor and... Eventually, they were rescued by firemen. Colin O'Brien, the DJ, after leaving the stage, took refuge in a toilet behind the stage. He eventually decided to leave there and got to the corridor of exit three, which was um, behind the stage. It was exit two, however, that the worst conditions were experienced. Frank Downs had begun opening the doors, as we heard back in part one, when things had first started. So he made sure to fix them into an open position. So I kind of, the way to describe it would be like a double door where they open outwards and then you hook them onto the wall. Um, people began to move through these and then Frank said a few seconds later he heard a scream from the ballroom followed by a sudden rush of people and then thick black smoke rapidly filled the foyer, the lights failed and the struggles of people trying to get out increased in vigour and desperation and it was described in his words as complete panic. The foyer was then completely jammed with people and nobody was succeeding in getting out. Many people were knocked to the floor at this stage and found others were just walking over them. Some of them were pushed up against the staircase or pushed back into the hall again. One patron Anthony said that he broke the windows over the main entrance and he actually escaped that way. Another patron said that she was knocked to the ground and she climbed over the bodies of semi-conscious people into the cloakroom where there were seven other people. She then had to climb back out into the foyer eventually finding herself in the open air. A number of people came to outside after being carried out and the smoke appeared to remain higher in the air so people found it easier to breathe while they were on the floor and would crawl their way out. Frank Down said that he himself was wedged into the corner of the wall and the door at the outer doors by the pressure of the crowd. He said that when he eventually did get out, he then went back up the steps and he was trying to pull people out from inside the foyer He also had to stop people going back in. He also spent a minute or two wrestling with Alfred Riley from before. They were struggling on the grass verge opposite exit too. Frank trying to prevent Alfred from going back into the building. And then when he looked back, Frank saw that the doors were closed. He said he doesn't know how on earth this happened. But after a short time, they opened again and a load more people came out. So it appears that staff members were worried about causing a draft with the doors so they shut them, but there were people trying to get out of the doors at that point.
1: I don't know. That, well, maybe they they were worried that it was going to fan the flames, that's maybe? What they, yeah, I, that's what uh, they meant. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, a patron called Bernadette said that when she got to the front door, the steel shutter in front was halfway down, so she had to crawl under the shutters just to make her escape. People of the Midlands. We know you like a deal. At
1: Ocado, we've got more choice than any other supermarket. More than that, we're giving 25% off your first shot, plus free delivery. That means more off all the things you love. Visit acardo.com today. There's an Ocado just for the Midlands. There's an Ocado just for you. New customers only. Men spend £60. Max saving £20. Groceries only. Geographical restrictions and Christmas exclusions apply. Conditions at acardo.com Verify at info at OcadoRetail.com.
0: A taxi driver called Robert O'Callaghan had picked up a fare at the Adelphi Cinema on the night of the fire and had brought him to an area near the Stardust. After this, he headed towards the Stardust with a view to get in some more work when the club let out. Driving towards the Stardust himself, when he was approximately a 100 yards away, he could see the flames above the building, describing it as about the size of a house. He could see the lights of the disco from the windows and hear music still playing. And then he saw people coming out and he said, should he move his taxi? Um, but as he did some women asked if he was a taxi driver and he said yes so they just asked him to take him away and so he remembered seeing at least one girl coming out screaming but he said she seemed to be more overexcited than anything else and he didn't recall seeing any panic stricken crowds at that point.
1: And it's kind of a a bit of a mess when a club's kicking out anyway, because Mm -hmm. people are really drunk and you're going to get fights and people crying and screaming. And he's a taxi driver, so he's going to be used to seeing all that. So it would automatically, he would interpret probably a lot of what he saw as just your typical Friday, Saturday night antics at that time in the morning.
0: Definitely. A number of residents in the area heard or saw the fire from their homes. In most cases, what first attracted their attention was the noise of cracking or banging. So in some instances, they likened this to shots being fired. And from their homes, they reported seeing smoke and flames rising from the roof of the stardust. Some of them said they remembered looking at clocks or watches. And I'm pretty sure you mocked me when I said that I always check the time if I hear an odd noise. Didn't you?
1: I certainly did.
0: But this really helped to establish a timeline, actually. So one neighbour called Thomas went up to his bedroom where he could see the flames coming from the building and he was really interested in photography, not realising that there were actually people in the building at the time. He went out onto the road and took a photograph of the fire Um and he kind of said afterwards about that. He didn't realise there were people and and then he felt a bit weird. But But those photos then are part of history.
1: Yeah, and also would have helped massively in the subsequent investigation i'm guessing
0: yeah so by now people were streaming out of the building described as clearly in distress their faces were blackened with smoke and at the same time banging and screaming could be heard from the windows of the toilets and people still inside the building could be seen at this stage breaking the glass over the front of the exit too climbing out onto the canopy eyewitnesses have described the scene outside the building as one of increasing disorder and confusion. A patron called James Shortall left the Stardust at about 1.40 and he said that there was no indication of a fire that he could see. He said Mr Downs was still at the outer door. He made his way to his car. He defrosted the windscreen, got in and started the engine. As he started his car, he saw the doors pushing open with people and black smoke pouring out. So he then shone his headlights to the fire escape stairs to help people with illuminating their escape route. So he hadn't really been out for very long. He'd literally left with no idea anything was going on, turns his car around and realises it's something so crazy.
1: But I suppose it was, even at that point where it, where it had taken hold for like 15 minutes, it would have still probably been localised to uh, yeah. uh, a small portion of the building, really.
0: Exactly. So whilst a lot of people fled... A crowd of several hundred patrons and numerous residents and locals were gathered. The confusion and disorder increased as many of the crowd, physically and mentally shocked by what happened, just milled aimlessly around the building. Some of them were screaming, many of them hysterical, and some of the crowd were trying to force their way back into the building to help injured people. Some of those who had already emerged from the building were clearly seriously affected by their injuries, and they were laid on the grass by their friends or other helpers while the arrival of the ambulances was awaited. A number of people put their own lives in serious danger to try and get back inside to help patrons who were trapped. Even as they were lucky to escape with their lives, they were mentally scarred by the sights they fled from. People running around in circles due to disorientation, people on fire, bodies laying on the ground, and the screams must have been haunting. David Carroll escaped through exit 5 and he said that as he looked back into the building, through that exit he could see seats on fire, the ceiling was fire over, on fire over this area and particles of fire were falling on people. He remembered one girl in particular lying on the floor as material fell from the ceiling onto her and her dress was on fire. He could see people also crawling on top of each other in the seats in the east section of the North Alcove And he at one stage went a few feet inside the door to help people out, but ultimately the heat was just too intense and he had to get out. Martin Quinn escaped through exit 5 while the lights were still on, but he was separated from his sister. He just couldn't find her, went back in through exit 5, managed to get a few feet in and helped a girl whose skirt was on flames. He put his jacket around her and went back in again, but the heat was too intense and he had to leave. I couldn't cope with not knowing whether he, he found his sister or not, and I haven't been able to find out much about the siblings. However, she didn't die in this fire, so they must have been reunited. Oh,
1: God, yeah. I know.
0: There aren't many that- positives in this case, but that was no. one bit that I was like, I need to know what happened to his sister.
1: I think, and he wouldn't have been the only person in a similar position because... It really is every man for himself because you're just in that state of panic, and it's dark, and it's hot, and you're not thinking rationally. So there would have been a lot of people that would have found their way out of the building and got out, and maybe thought their friends were with them, their partner, etc. And 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 then they get outside of that building, look back at it in flames, and the true devastation of what's just happened, and realize they're on their own. Yeah, um, I think that that would have been the worst part of it that euphoria of getting out and having escaped with your life and realizing your sister or your girlfriend or boyfriend or your friends are perhaps still stuck inside i I just yeah that would have it would have been the the cruelest part of it really
0: absolutely there was also a trade union function taking place in the same building and the people attending that all did manage to make a safe escape but those star patrons were just not as lucky at all So as well as the general fear and panic, obviously the exits being blocked and stuff and the lights failing, there was just this widespread panic, mass trampling, and the scene that met the first unit of the fire brigade to arrive was just one of chaos. Station officer Mooney said that he saw many people in hysterical condition, some of whom were obviously suffering from burns as they approached the entrance. The first fire engine actually on scene sent a message to the fire station by radio on their arrival which was recorded as being received at 1.51 and this fire engine was followed almost immediately by another unit from North Strand Fire Station. Over the course of the next three to four minutes four more engines arrived. The first to arrive did find difficulty getting in through the crowd and some were further impeded by the security barrier on the east side of the building So a number of people in the crowd outside then forced the security barrier open and broke it so that the fire engines could get through. After the first call had been made to the emergency services, in the next two minutes more calls were made, including one from a local resident, and the firefighters on arriving at the scene began right away assessing the situation. Station officer Mooney said that as soon as he arrived, he learned from those that were on the scene that there were still people inside the building. So he accordingly decided that the priority of the personnel present should be rescuing people. So they used hoses and at one point actually ran out of water trying to put out the flames. Luckily, the building that the Stardust was in had an underground static water tank that they were able to use. The firefighters had to use breathing apparatus when they were doing the recoveries, although a number of times they found people, they were already dead. And it was an absolutely harrowing scene. The fire had reached the peak of its intensity, and it took them at least three or four minutes to get the injured people out. The first ambulances began to arrive at about 153, 155, and the process of taking the injured to various hospitals in the city began. The first guarder car had arrived immediately after the first units of the fire brigade. Many people had mistaken the entrance to the men's toilets as the main entrance doors, but the windows there had metal plates fixed on the inside and iron bars on the outside. Firemen attempted to pull off the metal bars using a chain attached to a fire engine, but were unsuccessful. So they then had to go in the, you know, through the main bit, and they managed to rescue 25 to 30 people trapped in those front toilets. At some points, the fireman opened a door to find bodies piled up just inches from fresh air and safety. Third Officer Kinnan made a bridge call to Central Control Room before returning to the ballroom where he saw that people had been or were being assisted from the area at the back of the stage. He decided that the circumstances justified the implementation of the Major Accident Plan Stage 1. He said that he met a guarder outside who was in possession of a walkie-talkie, requested him to send... Stage one of the major accident plan, which the guarder did in his presence. And so this first phase of the major accident plan was designed to coordinate the actions of the various emergency services. This was activated at 2.06. Officer Kiernan, having seen a number of bodies on the east side of the building, realised that there was a possibility of a large loss of life. And so meeting another guarder requested him to say, actually send back stage two of the major accident plan, which he did and he requested that the city morgue be opened, as it was clear that there would be a considerable number of fatalities. The second phase of the major accident plan was started at 02.12. Approximately 10 minutes later, a systematic search of the building was conducted by fire brigade officers, the remaining dead bodies were removed from the building, and the firemen moving through the building continued to find occasional small pockets of fire which they extinguished. The fire was completely put out by 2.54. There were ambulances from Dublin Fire Brigade, the Eastern Health Board, Dublin Civil Defence, the Red Cross, the Order of Malta Ambulance Corps, St John's Ambulance Ireland and the Airport Fire Rescue Service there. Many ambulances left the scene carrying up to 15 casualties and local radio stations asked people in the vicinity with cars to come to the clubs. Which reminded me of, I can't remember where the nightclub was now so I'm going to sound really awful for saying it I literally can't remember but the other fire that I covered where just local people were just ferrying the injured and it's this sense of community all coming together isn't it as well as 215 people who needed medical assistance 48 people lost their lives in the fire and so I wanted to finish part two by remembering the names of all of those people Michael Barrett Richard Bennett Carol Bissett James Buckley Paula Byrne Caroline Carey John Colgan Jacqueline Croker Liam Dunn Michael Farrell David Flood Thalma Fraser Michael French Josephine Glenn Michael Griffiths Robert Hillcock Brian Hobbs Eugene Hogan Myrta Kavanagh Martina Keegan Mary Keegan Robert Kelly Mary Kennedy Mary Kenny. Margaret Kiernan, Sandra Lawless, Frances Lawler, Maureen Lawler, Paula Lewis, Eamon Lochman, George McDermott, Marcella McDermott, William McDermott, Julia McDonnell, Theresa McDonnell, Gerard McGrath, Caroline McHugh, Donna Mahon, Helena Mangan, James Miller, Susan Morgan, David Morton, Kathleen Mundoon, George O'Connor, Brendan O'Meara, John Stout, Margaret Thornton, Paul Wade. Thank you for listening, everybody.